Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margo Escott, a clinical social worker in Naples, Florida, and an improviser. And on Improv Interviews, we have really wonderful guests from around the world, including my favorite teacher, mentor, and friend, Jay Suko. Hi, Jay. Oh, Margo, thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, folks have missed part one. So let me ask you all those questions again. Yes. Okay. Struggle, um, uh, childhood, um, trauma, uh, find a way to fit in, found improv. Here we are. Okay. Yep. That's it. Here we are. Wonderful. Wonderful. So um, we were talking about teaching improv and how a lot of people may want to do it. And it's a big jump to be able to make that your career. A lot of people yeah. would like to do that. And you've really made that your career and your profession. And you've done so many totally cool things. But let's get back because we didn't really finish the history of your time at aren't Second you City. Starting, aren't you starting a class soon, Margo? Where you're yes, I am starting a class. Yes, I'm starting a class very, very soon. It's going to be a six-week class. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be having fun with improv. And I'm very excited about it. And my co-teacher is Kosh, who's from D.C. So there's that. And every Saturday morning, I teach people with Parkinson's and their care partners improv. I've been doing that for a while. And you were in our holiday show. You helped create our holiday show. So thank you very much. Um, you're Jay, welcome. you're just a great friend and a great teacher. I just, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nice to no. meet you. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do? <laughs> Sometimes we play a game called uh Tigers, Martians, and Salesmen. And that was our reference just then. We're gonna try it right now. Okay. On the count of three, we're either gonna be a tiger, Martian. Rawr. Salesman. How do you do? Okay, on the count of three, you ready? Uh -huh. Okay. One, two, three. How oh. do you do? <laughs> and we we did a, a monthly show with Jay and Dina. Chris was here as well as some other friends. It was Madame teaches everything you know about improv. So that was always fun. So let's get back to Second City way back in Chicago, because oh, yeah. when you were studying there, who, um, I know you had some teachers that went on to be fairly recognized improvisers or actors or TV people. Can you tell me about some of the people? I know you went there and Del Close was there when you went there. He hadn't moved to IO yet. Nope. He was at that point, he was at IO, but my, my first teacher at second city was Stephen Colbert, then I had Dave Rozowski, then I had Steve Carell, and then I had a guy very few people have heard of named John Holtzen. Uh, and then and then from there, we did our own show, a student graduation show that turned into a year. We were asked to do it for, and it was over a year, we did our student show, which was an amazing experience. We did a best of then afterwards, the producer Cheryl Sloan said, would you like to do um, the best of the Second City Northwest? And we said, yeah. So we did a best of Second City Northwest for uh, over a year. And then uh, Bob said, we should take classes from this guy, Del Close uh, downtown. So we all, we also went downtown. We took classes from Del Close at Improv Olympic. And we also did the conservatory downtown. So after doing two years of shows on a Second City stage, we then also enrolled in conservatory classes downtown. So we ended up taking classes with like Fran 
um, Adams and Michael Gelman and and Martin Demott and all sorts of of people. And and our graduation show was directed by a guy named Tom Giannis, who after the first show got hired by SNL. And so we kind of self-directed the rest of the uh, eight week run. Uh, and it was great. So yeah, so I, I got experience to a lot of amazing uh, teachers and I took something from each one and didn't know that that's what I wanted to do really. And what now I look back, I'm right. like, oh, I really wanted to teach more than perform. I never really had that I gotta be on stage bug. It was fun. I liked doing it, but it didn't drive me where I wanted to do it and got as much pleasure as I do from teaching. And what do you think that drove you to teaching? What was that inside of you? Oh, I think the idea of inspiring or leading other people to do their thing is something. And whether it was when I was coaching sports uh, and I got something out of watching someone learn uh, or it's improv. I think the idea of seeing someone have like a light bulb moment and go, oh, to something that's already there. It's improv is a little different than teaching like a sport with a sport you teach like technique, hold the bat mm -hmm. this way, um, spike the ball over the net this way, kick the ball with the outside of your foot. Improv to me is more like, can I help unlock a door in you that already knows this stuff and either has forgotten about it or has hidden it because people think I'm weird. So can I help you get past that to see what you already know? So it's not as much teaching as like guiding, I guess, or let's, let's get you in that space of trying this stuff out and seeing what works for you because it's not math. It's not five plus five is 10 always forevermore. It's, I don't know. Let's see what it, what is it for you in this situation? The answer is what you determine it with your scene partners. Exactly. Now, what was Steve Colbert like as a teacher? And what kind of things was he teaching? Uh, well, it was the perfect level one for me because he was all about joy. He had a similar kind of silliness that I resonate with. So I really connected with him of just silly play is really what uh, I associate with with Colbert is this get up silly play. The first thing we ever did. Uh, oh, Amir is watching. Hello, Amir. Uh, Amir is watching on Facebook. He says hi. Cool, cool. Um, so the first thing I ever did in any improv class, we're all sitting around. There's like 15 or 16 of us in this class. And Stephen Colbert walks in and he goes, all right, everybody up. There's a string from the top of your head, pulling you to the ceiling. I want you to walk around. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> yes. And then he goes, now the string's on your nose. And I went, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like I loved, that was so mind blowing to me. And so I, we just kept doing these games and these silly exercises. I'm silly in the best way. And it was like, he taught me, play smart, have fun, treat the silly very serious. Uh, and he has more of an acting background. And so mm -hmm. when he came in, it was that. And then I had Dave Rzowski and he was about characters. What are their points of view? Having that integrity in that moment. Don't go for the easy laugh when there's a bigger laugh beyond it. There's a bigger reward. And, and then I had Steve Carell, who was like, 
in some ways messed with you in, in a great way, but was definitely more about having heart in your characters and, and uh, yeah, connecting with each other. And so, but the three of them always talked about ensemble. And when they were, when they were a part of Second City, you went kind of classes to a, an opportunity to go to a touring company. And then you would spend time on the road with people for a couple of years. And then there'd be an opportunity where the whole group would go onto a stage together pretty much. And it's not that way now. Now it's more um, picking out individuals to fit into cast versus this gelling of, of ensembles. So that's why, I guess that's why I'm really focused on ensemble is I didn't have a desire to get onto a TV show or even on a stage my desire was to make this ensemble look good. So that resonated with me. The the teachings at IO that were like, do your job or the tribe dies, that resonated with me where it's like, I just have to do my job. I don't have to worry about the whole thing. If we each do our job, it turns into something beautiful. So that's what I was taking as a student. It wasn't like, this is a shortcut to being on TV. It was, wow, I'm I'm finding people who accept me and who see a value in what I have. Yes, yes acceptance acceptance is such a big part of improv to feel accepted with this other group of misfits the misfit yes. <laughs> misfit toys <laughs> the, the island of misfit toys and like accept the fact that i can do things and other things i can't do as well as other people and that's okay i can do certain things well and and i accept that fact and i've tried i've tried to do characters like my friend jamie moyer does and i just can't do it nobody can Jamie can do no. those characters yes. and she does them well, but you, you see that person get a response and you're like, Oh, that's the way to do it. And it's like, no, the way to do it is the way you want to do it. It's good to try it. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll be able to do it, but really it's accepting being accepted by others, accepting them, accepting what you're given on stage and accepting what you can do on stage and being okay with not being able to do it all and, and look at someone and can I appreciate the way they improvise or do I have to compare myself and say, Oh, I'm never going to do that. Or they do this, or can I just accept they do that? Well, awesome. I'm going to do this. Absolutely. So when you first got to Chicago, second city, who was um, doing music back then? Ruby streak was really the main musician. I had heard of Fred Kaz, but I, I never, got a chance right. to see him but ruby was really the one there was a mark levinson was the piano player at second city northwest who was kind of the piano player for our student shows and our monday run and he was great and there was a guy named ed smarin who i'm friends with to this day who's an amazing actor but also did piano for sketch and improv shows so what I learned from him is sometimes you label people as, oh, they can only do this. They're the piano player. But what you don't realize right, is right, right. they probably can improvise well. They could probably act well. Ed Smear is one of the best gritty character actors I've ever seen. He blows me away. But I knew him first as a piano guy. And then it was like, oh, he's just the piano guy. And then what I realized, Margo, is the piano players are always the funniest, most interesting people. They might never get on stage, but they observe so many shows. And they are the true improvisers of the show because they never get any glory and they underscore everything. Right, like our mutual friend, Laura Hall. She's a wonderful oh. improviser. I just love playing with Laura. She's the best. She's yeah, Laura, yeah. Laura and Rick are the best because Rick. they come from a, their hearts in a good place. Laura never gets frustrated with students. 
She never gets upset with students. And she teaches, I think, a lot more than Rick has, although Rick's a teacher as well. But Laura is the most gentle, kind, empathetic person. And she never makes you feel bad at whatever level you're at. She can rock out with Wayne Brady, who is like, I don't know if there's a better musical improviser than he's just so good. He's if you watch him, he's amazing. He's really yes, good. Yes. And then newbies, she can treat she treats both of them with the respect they deserve. And also at the level they're at, she'll go up to the level or come back, but never make you feel bad about it. And that's to me, those are the best teachers. To me, the teachers that are yelling at you. Are, or stopping scenes are not the best teachers to me. And again, it's a personal thing. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have personal experience with Laura. I studied with her during the pandemic and you're so spot on with how you described her um, because she was always encouraging and taught me so much. And I just love musical improv. And I know you do too. So how about a little song, Jay? Oh my goodness, Margo. I was hoping... You know me, you know musical improv is my jam. I can't get enough of it. I was so excited. Yes. Yes. Oh, uh, a little beastie rap? Oh, yeah. Oh, the name's Bill. I knew a guy, and his name is Bill. He went up a big steep hill. He opened his window near the window. Still. He took some money from the cash register. Still. Oh, he was sick, so he. No, you go, you go. So he wrote his will. Okay, I knew a guy. His name was Rick. Oh, damn it! <laughs> Nailed I knew it. a guy. His name was Rick, Rick. But he was always getting sick. He liked his nose too. Sick. And when he shaved, he always got a... Nick. But one day he discovered talk. Tick. And he found out it was like a good movie. John Wick. <laughs> I... That's why they call him. it bad, bad rap. <laughs> oh, I... I when you're afraid in improv of anything, the one one tool is to throw yourself into it 100% with utmost excitement. You convince your brain they're going to love it. Just like your right. brain convinces you it's going to hate you're going to hate it, you can convince your brain you're going to love it. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. So jump in, say yes when you're scared, 100% yes and jump into it and and make any choice at all and it will always always work out. You always will survive these. That's the thing yeah. about improv. You always survive it. It's short-lived in everyone else's memory but yours. Sometimes he's lived <laughs> so long. Everybody's moved on. Everybody on the planet has moved right, on. Right, right, right. From you asking a question in the second beat of the third round of scenes. Nobody <laughs> cares. But we hold all our improv so dearly. And we have to release that grip on that's these improv scenes and just be like, we're moving on. Because that's what we do. We move on on what's next what's next and i do with beastie boys and the beastie boy rap competitions so we have to do those in our classes sometime soon i would love to do that again yeah it's the yeah. best it's and like play play to win be okay losing like i really want to win this but i'm okay if i lose right so play Absolutely. to win 
it's part of a show. People, people don't quite understand formats that are competitive, quote unquote, that it's really you're playing the show. And at moments, it seems like it's competitive, but really it's in the service of the show. So in some shows of competitive improv, you got to be a villain. That's the role you're in. The audience hates you and just right, accept right. it and be bad. And in some shows, you're the you're the ones they love. Uh, I did a when, when I got married the first time because I've been married uh, twice. My first marriage, the the um, rehearsal dinner was a comedy sports show. I wanted friends to play in a show, and so instead of a rehearsal dinner, we did a comedy sports show, which is competitive improvisation, a referee who's like the host, and then two teams. And they quote battle for the audience's approval. And after we had a halftime and I didn't know this happened after halftime, we come down and it's three on each side. And the other team had my face on a stick in front of their faces <laughs> because they knew there was no way they were going to win this show. So they took it upon themselves to say, to make the show the best, this is what we're going to do. So you have to look at the show and how are you serving that show for that audience in, when you're talking about competition or competitive aspects? And sometimes you serve the show best by being the, the villain or being the idiot or being the one that they love and stepping forward, even if you don't think you're good. It's like, no, I'm sensing this audience enjoys me and everyone's given me that ball. I got to take it and, and I got to score with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another baseball metaphor, field of dreams. Yes. If people listen to one, they'll find out about your field of dreams, Kevin Costner monologue. That's right. So you have to check that out. Part one. <laughs> gotta listen part one. I did go, I did go Margo to field of dreams with some friends on a tour for comedy yes. sports. And we, uh, we walked out on the field. It's this, it, there's an actual house in Iowa and it was January. It was freezing. And the, the field was ice. And we, my buddy, Mike Burson was like, watch this. And he runs and does a head first slide, but he head first stopped because it was ice. So he went on his stomach and just completely stopped head first. And I was like, only an improviser would commit so fully to that bit right there. Yeah. Oh, hi, Emma. We're watching Emma. Emma sent us a, a, a message on Facebook. We're also- uh, Emma T. Emma T. Yeah. And uh, anybody else out there? Uh, well, we, Amir. Amir says Amir's hi. Here. Yeah, great. Yep. So great. So wonderful. So let's get back to, I, um, you know, I love Viola's Bowl and that's my Bible. I was introduced to improv by somebody who had actually studied at Second City about 30 years ago, had studied with Dell. And it was a lot of Spolin, but a comedy sports as well. And has Spolin influenced your work? Were they teaching Spolin at Second City when you were there? <laughs> She's only influenced every part of my work. That's all. Okay. Yes. No, it was the books you were required to buy at that time were Impro by Keith Johnstone and Improvisation for the Theater by Viola Spolin. And we, we read it. And even to this day, Margo, so that's been over 30 years. Even to this day, when I'm stuck, I don't go for the Johnstone book as much as I go for the Spolin book because she is the basis for all of this. And whenever it's like, I don't know what to do, I don't know, uh, I have a challenge with a student or with this class or an exercise, I go back to that and it's like, yep, still works. And that's sometimes feedback I give is Spolin feedback, which is, 
did we achieve the goal? Not was it good or bad? Not was it fun? Right, right, right. We have a goal. The goal is uh, when a word is said, you're going to exit the scene. And then if it's said again, you come back on. At the end of the scene, did we achieve the goal? We did. Then it's successful. If not, okay, then we work on it. But yeah, she is, she, her and Neva Boyd, I mean, I know you talk about both of them a lot, and they should be lauded from the mountains to me more than it, it should be them and then miles between the next referenced improviser teacher because they're the ones that created all of this anything that you anything you can think of with improv comes back to them especially yes. if you're talking yes. any sort of gameplay so anybody who's a snob about long form or don't they don't know about viola or neva boyd do yourself a favor and read. You will find the answers. You will find it originates from there. We got to know that in order to move Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. And her mind was, oh, it blows my mind to think about the things that she created and developed. And I uh, met some uh, yes. young young people, uh, oh, not recently, a few years ago, but it's all relative in time. Einstein said that, I think. Anyway, um, so... They had recently gone to a well-known theater uh, school in Chicago, and I asked them about Spolin, and they had never heard of her. They spent two weeks and never heard of Spolin, and that just kind of blew my mind. It just well, blew my mind. It just shows you, too, like, A, what an opportunity to educate them or, or say, here's somebody you should know, and B, like, it, it gets, when it gets passed down, it, it can get lost, and, you know, she was not it was not a cult of personality with her, with Neva or, or Viola. So there's a difference when you have a cult of personality, people can buy into that more and feel a part of like this real secret special club inside another club. Like I, humans love clubs and we love being inside a little club in a small club. We love to, so people go like, I'm this, I'm a devotee of this person or that person. And we leave out the ones that kind of started it all. So for me, it's, I realized, oh, I'm not, people don't have the same experience I do at learning. People were not introduced to Spolin like I was. People were not introduced to these folks. They didn't have the same experience. So it's up to me if I choose to educate them or say like, here's some resources. Here's what she's about. Buy this book. When they ask, when I get asked like, what are, what are books I should purchase? Hers is at the top of the list. So Yes, it's not surprising that you go in a room full of people, especially how important you see theaters, how important you see Paul Sills is, who, you know, the son of Viola Spolin. Yes, how, yes, of course. How important he is for American theater and everything he got came from her. So in one way, I'm like, she's the true improviser because she's not out to be known. She does. That was not a goal of hers. The goal of hers was to help people right, be right, better right. humans. So but then you exactly. get into a situation where people are having to monetize their their theater or their style so then they put themselves out front and center more it's just the way it is i don't i don't hold people uh in contempt when they're like they make it all about them but my my style is not that way my style is like who who can i take from who's given us the education and what resonates with me and she resonates with me more than a lot of the other teachers Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a social worker and the uh, home of social worker in the United States is Hull House, 
where Neva and Viola went to teach the immigrant children and developed so many wonderful games that we use today. So I'm just a big fan. And of course, I love Aretha uh, Spolin Sills, who I think is a, just a marvelous teacher. I'm well, very she's... blessed to have worked with her. Yeah. She's the guy, the granddaughter. Yes. And we both, you and I both have worked and know her. And like, you're right. She is, she has this wealth of knowledge, firsthand knowledge that got passed down. So it's like uh, you and I both say, if you can ever take a class with Aretha, Aretha, take a class with Aretha Sills because she yes. has yes. that lineage, especially if you're a writer, she focuses more on writing than improv, but she uses a lot of those improv tools and she's an expert in it. So, and she's again, to me, I like her vibe. She's a great person. She's oh, very yeah. nice, very calm. She puts you in a space where learning. I, I think we've moved most of people have moved past the point of getting yelled at is is the way to learn i think right. i think we see like you don't have to be yelled at to get the message across and to change and to learn so uh, i think she's a practitioner of that as well so uh yeah i'm i'm a i'm a huge fan of hers and that whole again that lineage you know you meet some of these people that you've heard about or you've read about and there is a certain amount of not that you're starstruck but you definitely have you're taken aback when you meet these people for the first time Mina Kolb, who was in the original Second City cast, I met at Jeff Michalski and Jane Morris's theater here, a small theater, 40 people. And I met her and I couldn't talk. I was like, oh my God. And she's like in her 90s. <laughs> and I'm like, you're one of the originators. So, you know, and Ed Greenberg, I, I met him as well. And it's just like, oh my goodness, you meet these people and you're like, there's an element of reverence for them. But it all starts with, with Viola, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when I started improv, they gave us 10 rules. And it was so weird because then I started teaching and I was giving out those 10 goofy rules, the rules of improv. I don't know where those ever came from, but it's so limiting and it it, it hinders people more than helps people, you know, to hand them a, a list of rules and thou shalt not ask questions. What do you think about that, Jay? <laughs> you asked the question. Scene's over. Oh, well, yeah. It's, I think, <laughs> I think... <laughs> Teachers could really serve better their students by telling them what to do, not what not to do. So what yes. are you saying? When you're saying don't ask questions, what is it you want them to do? Because if you say don't ask questions, your brain, I think, just hears ask questions. It doesn't hear the don't or the yes. So, yes. so what yes. is it you want them to do? Is it provide information, which I think is what it is. So then say provide information. Because a question can provide that information. But yeah, when you have the rules and then you break a rule, you're immediately out of the scene and thinking you fucked up. I messed up right now. And so how do we get people to a place where they don't feel they mess up and they they don't feel like they have to make those choices that they can make more effective choices or stronger exactly. choices than the ones exactly. that, so. Now you mentioned Jeff and Jane uh out in LA West Side is it no um, they're at Fanatic Salon in Culver Fanatic City Salon. on the West yes. Side and I anytime you get a chance to take a class with either one of them I know Jeff teaches a usual Saturday drop-in and Jane teaches a class as well during the week I think on a Wednesday or Tuesday but you check out their their website Fanatic Salon and I love the space because it used to be the hair Fanatic Salon Theater. It was not a theater. Right, right, right. And so if you look at their sign, they just put an X over the word hair. So it's called Fanatic Salon and they wrote in theater. 
So that to me is a true improviser, just leaving what's yes. there, adding to it. But they're they're also two teachers that are not yellers and screamers. They're no. just like, try it this way or yeah. Like they're very gentle with their notes, but they're very precise with their notes and their feedback. So I, I can't say enough about them. I, I love them both to pieces. Yes. So uh, talking about teaching again, I your classes to me are so wonderful and so inspiring. And uh, I just feel heard and accepted and appreciated. And in life, we don't get that so much. Right. We just don't get like accepted or heard. And it's a beautiful gift to pass on, keep passing it on. So when did you move into full-time teaching and coaching? Oh, wow. Uh, great question. Um, it started as kind of an accident and then led into, I think it led into like more of a full-time position, probably in the early 2000s for me. But it was like there were just for a while, there were limited spots. And once you got a spot, you kind of had it for a long time. So there weren't as many opportunities as there are now because there weren't as many spaces. And so right. you would try things like, I'm going to rent a park district room and put out a call. So he wants to take classes, you know, and you, you, you would start, uh, there's more opportunities to like coach independent improv groups. So he started doing that. And so, yeah, I started like in the kind of early two thousands and then started teaching a lot for places like improv olympic and then eventually on to second city and i did a lot of that and then i got into more teaching and coaching in a corporate space so i do like learning to development using a lot of improv skills but to teach people how to be more dynamic presenters or better listeners or how to brainstorm more effectively you know using a lot of the tenets and the philosophies of improv so I do that a lot now as well. And I love it's transitioned for me fully, almost fully virtual. And I love it. Yeah. And I, I love, yeah, I, I love it. Teach all over the world, teach all over the world, the comfort of your home. You get up, you teach, you turn off your computer, you go uh, downstairs, grab something to eat. You know, it's, it's, uh, so I love doing that, but it, it started, it was not like, this is what I want to do, but I discovered it was. And then for a while you were dependent on other people giving you permission to teach at their theater, at their school. And I remember I taught at a, a school once and I was teaching, oh, probably three or four classes a week. I was coaching like two or three groups. And I told the person who was in charge of education, I, I don't think I should teach this eight week term because I'll be gone for a few weeks. And I don't think you should miss more than a week two at the most, but I don't think you should miss consecutive weeks. And so they said, okay, uh, that's fine. And then I got back and I was never put on the schedule again, ever. And I was like, so that fed into my imposter syndrome and my fear of abandonment. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So I got really taken aback and was hurt by that and was like, what I thought uh, okay, I thought I was a good teacher, but maybe not. And, and then I saw somebody on Facebook say, I'm teaching for Second City. And I was like, that MRFer, that person is? And I had a little jealousy. And I was like, 
I'm going to send in my resume. And I was like, but it's second city. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to send it in. And I wasn't even sending it in to get a class necessarily. I was sending in to show, I was like, if that person can do it, I'm going to do it. But luckily for me, uh, the head of the, the training center was Ann Libra and she reached out and said, mm-hmm. you're on the next schedule. And I was like, like that day, I think. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I showed up at Second City and I had not been in that in that theater. I had not been in that theater for, oh, I don't know, 15 years. And it had changed so much. It had gone from, you took classes either on the main stage, the ETC stage or a, a studio apartment on Wells to dozens of classrooms it had changed so much and so I remember the first day I walked into that theater I didn't know where I was supposed to go to even check in and I saw my friend Blaine and he goes oh go in so he showed me where the office was and I had a attendance sheet and I messaged the head of the um, training center I said do you have a syllabus and he goes somewhere I don't know and I go what do you want me to teach he goes it's about characters he goes, here's what I want them to leave the class with. And I go, okay, how do you want me to teach freeze tag? And he goes, however you want. He goes, I want them to experience different ways of learning different things. And that was it. So I had no syllabus. I, oh, I love it. Love it. And then I just, I love that style. I was like, oh, they need these skills. So I developed kind of a curriculum myself just based on, I'm going to prepare for the class. I'm going to go into the class and now I'm going to see what this class is. And then I'm going to put in exercises, throw out exercises based on what the class is to get them to where they can sustain a character or they can make a strong choice. And I, that's, that became part of my, my repertoire is to just over prepare, then throw it out based on what the class is. That is so wonderful. That's true. Inspired improvisation. I just love it. I love it. That's wonderful. Just go there and do whatever you do. It's magic, whatever you're going to do. You prepare, you prepare, prepare for it, but throw it, throw out that list when you get in the room and then choose in the moment what you think works. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. So am I inspiring you today, Jay? I I just want to make sure that you're feeling... Feeling the love, okay? Feeling the love. So um, we talked about, you mentioned how improv is global today and you've introduced me to some wonderful improvisers and you've taught around the world, I believe. So where was your first international trip? Tell us about that. If you can remember, I know you're getting old. Uh, Yeah, yeah, there. Um, I am getting old. I'm trying to remember. Do, Do you count Canada? Yeah, Canada. Nick John's a foreigner in our country, right? That's right. That's right. Um, let's see. My first, I think the one, I think the, the because I worked at, I, I took a couple, I took like a year off and worked at a club med where I was a village entertainer. And I, I would teach improv there to like some of the guests and staff. Wow. But I think my first, really the thing that kind of opened up the door for me for international was the Barcelona Improv Festival, which was uh, 2015. Yeah, 2000, like late 2015, I think is when it was. Yeah, because it was, I was there when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series and Trump got elected president. I was in Barcelona for both of those. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh no, I remember, I'll never forget seeing those returns come in early. And I was like, this isn't good. Uh, But but I had gone there. um, I was invited. I went and I taught and it changed because I got um, introduced to a lot of people from all over the globe. And that was really my first experience with people from several different countries. And it was like, okay, cool. And then at that festival, I was standing on a street corner um, after one of the shows and right kind of outside where I was staying. And and this guy was talking to me and he's like, oh, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Chicago originally. He goes, oh yeah, I would study. I would go every summer to take classes at IO for their summer intensive. I'm like, oh, I used to teach there. And and then um, we had talked also about being sober because I don't drink or or do any drugs or anything like that right. anymore. And so we talked about that for a while. And he also was sober. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's great. And, you know, I said I had a fear that I would never do improv or teach improv again. And I thought I would just be like a drug counselor or something. And it's like, no, it actually <laughs> being sober actually changed and opened the door for a lot of yes. what I yes. enjoyed. Uh, I'm very fortunate, but I couldn't have gotten here if I was still drinking or doing drugs. And so we had talked and. And then like the following February, so just a few short months later, this was like November and then in February or end of January, no, February, he said, I get a message, says, hey, do you want to come? What are you doing over Easter? Which was, I think, March that year. I I do an improv festival at my theater in Copenhagen in Denmark. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, here are the dates. And so I I was like, all right, let me get back to you. So I, I had to get babysitters for my kids. I had to get subs for the classes I was teaching. And I did all of this. And then a couple of days later, I said, yeah, I think I can do it. And he goes, great, because um, I'm looking to get this other person. If they can't make it, I want you to come. And I was like, oh, what? You don't even... But then it ended up, I knew the other person and I was like, oh, I know he's not going to go. I just, I, I know him and I, I know that I'm, I'm going to be going. I just know it. And so I ended up going to teach at a festival in Copenhagen. And then that led to going back the next year for a festival. And then that led to like, hey, do you want to be the artistic director and head of education for our theater for seven months? And I said, yeah. And that was 2000. Yeah like 19, I think. So I went for seven months to the, the end of 2018, 2019. And I spent seven months in Denmark. It was unbelievable. And so that opened up. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, I got to learn how to use this, this, um, all these platforms. So then I was teaching the first month, I think in March of 2020, it was like, I'll teach anybody for free. I'll show up because I want to learn how to use the, this technology. And so i just taught people and I met a lot of great people from all over the world and everywhere from Bangalore to Norway to South America, Australia, like all sorts of people. So it's been great. Very wonderful. That's how I met you. I saw the word free. Oh yeah, that's for me. It's for me. (laughs) if If it's free, it's for me and I'll have three. That's Yes, absolutely. Or 33 or 103 or whatever the case was. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. You know, we've had similar experiences in our improv journey. I had a theater I was teaching at and then they didn't want me anymore. And that really does do something to your confidence um, and that imposter syndrome until somebody else says, oh, I like you. Do you want to play with us or something to that effect and to teach? Because yeah. I love 
teaching improv. I think it's the funnest thing in the world. And uh, you're my role model. Yeah, oh. you're absolutely And one of the things you do well, in the classes is, is help us love each other. And, yeah. and, and, you know, getting back into recovery, because I'm in recovery, I um, had a relapse, but I uh, started my second recovery a year after I'd started improv. And when I got sober, my improv definitely <laughs> improved, okay? And, but I think there's so many uh, corollaries, like, um, or correlations or coronations. I'm not sure which word coronaries. it is. I think it's coronary, yeah. it's hard to tell. Cor it's coronary, yeah, where's my stethoscope? So I think things like acceptance, acceptance oh, yeah. and being kind and being patient so another thing i love about your teaching is taking our time pausing yeah that's such a gift and breathing yeah. and mindful and mindful improv which is what Viola was all about too in my book, mindful right. improv, sensory experiences, and it it does help people in recovery. I think a lot. Hundred percent. Um, yeah. Now, I, uh, I yes, just I, I've had teachers where I remember once I had a, a class with someone and I came up to them afterwards and said, "Are you in recovery?" Because they were saying a lot of things that resonated with recovery, and they're like, "No, but I've been around enough, and I." you know, I, so I, I understand that. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of very, it's spread across a lot of philosophies too, of like, be mindful, be patient, uh, accept the situation you're in, you know, the, the, the theater I was at that I didn't take, I stopped getting classes. What that, what I learned is like, oh, the universe was saying to me, you shouldn't be at this place. And you can't stop being at this place. So I'm going to pick you out of this place and put you in a place you should be. And that's the way I looked at it is I was ripped from my friend says, you know, um, everything toxic in my life has my claw marks on it. And I feel that's true. It's like I'm clawing onto this thing that's familiar or safe or and it's just toxic. And it was like, no, you need to be away from this space. And if you can't do it, that's OK. I'm going to I'm going to pull you from. Right. That. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. A door closes and, um, you know, a window shade rolls up and down 20 times. I don't know. I mean, it, it just has been such a true in my life. Uh, I had a question. Yes. Or maybe a statement. Let's see if I can turn my question into don't a ask, statement. Don't ask questions, Margot. Don't ask questions. They're, these are tools not rules and teachers should encourage their students to learn that these are tools not rules no rules the uh well i was going to mention actually this facebook um group called sober improvisers and we put our sobriety date this is a really great thing to be part of and in your classes um we learn to love the other person and we might be even you know, having a conflict, but underneath it, we love that person. We're not calling them a bozo or whatever. And we're yeah. just being kind. And that's what improv has to share with so many people is that that kindness, patient, loving, and kind. Yeah, that's the that's why I got into it. That's what I realized is, oh, this is the place that I feel that people will be patient with me, loving and kind. And you don't get that 
like that's not a requirement at most of your other life even when it's like family they don't always practice patience loving and kind they do their best but they don't always have those skills so it's like make your for me it's like i want my classes to be maybe it's the only time of the week that this person feels accepted and loved is during these improv sessions maybe that's it and maybe the rest of the week it's abysmal for them it's it's horrible and they can't get out of bed and they're in pain or they're in emotional pain or their whole life is stressful and stuff but if we can have moments where it's like we're we're putting in place a situation where you have to show love for each other you have to show empathy for each other then it just can be the springboard for the rest of your week too it could be like that's the thing i need to get me through this dreadful week which is we're still in a pandemic it ain't ever going away yeah oh no it's not not going away so so you're connected with gilda's group yeah gilda's club is a nonprofit out of named for gilda radner out of chicago and they they really help folks who are affected by cancer and it's sometimes caregivers sometimes people have cancer and and every monday my friend kat and i um teach a class for an hour to people who are a part of that club and Ross is the program director who is there almost every week with us and is, uh, you know, you see these people, he's a great improviser. Kat's a great improviser. We have people in the class that are great improvisers that are stage like stage worthy. And I would put them on stage. They have no desire to be on stage. And then we've got a couple of folks who perform who actually are in the improv scene in their city, which is really neat to see. So some folks who actually are on teams, but come here and they are a part of this group that for an hour, once a week, it's the highlight of my week. We sit there and we laugh and we I play bet. games. And it's it's a gathering of people in different stages. And some of them are co- currently dealing with cancer. Some are in remission. Some have come back. And it's a chance to just bring joy and laughter. And they make me laugh harder than anyone. And it's just because they don't in the best way they don't care they don't care about a show they don't care about a format they don't care about uh levels and classes they're just like let's be goofy and that's that's my kind of student my kind of student is not the one that wants to go somewhere my kind of student is like just be here in the moment now and make each other feel something and feel good more than feel bad it, it's a wonderful organization. It's all around the country. So it's it's terrific. Gilda's Club is wonderful. So yeah. this was a this was an important year for you because you got married. Yeah, that's right. I got married in uh September. Uh and it's just, you know, you talk about loving, patient, and kind. That's I married someone who is loving, patient, and kind. And we see each other for who we are, not for what we do. It's like what you do is not who you are and so we have adventures she has an improviser spirit and we're all about having these little mini adventures and i'm lucky i feel like that's our goal in life is to find people who go on these little mini adventures with us and i've found someone and where she has that yes and spirit and she's like she appreciates what i do what and she doesn't look at it like it's a glorified hobby and a lot of times when you're doing arts people are like it's a glorified hobby so she is very supportive and and understands what I do and and is thinks it's an important aspect and so when the pandemic hit we were dating at that time and she's like she kind of encouraged me to like do these things we talked about she's like she was part of the creation of the 10 minute scene she's like do a 10 minute thing 
with someone. <clears throat> and, and so it became that. And it's 10 minutes with whoever that person is. So it's not like 10 minutes with Jay, it's 10 minutes with Margo or 10 minutes with Assad right. or 10 minutes with, with Bellagio or whoever it is. And so she's an important part of that, but she's never said like, you should get a real job. She's always like, this is your career. You've done it 30 years. So keep doing it. So I'm really, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm very lucky. The whole pandemic has been just a dark cloud in a lot of ways. So there are some so you know, shining moments within those. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's tremendous. So, Jay Suko, what lights your fire today? I feel, uh, like Martin, I feel like Martin Short doing Glick. What, what lights your fire today? Usually a lighter or a mattress. <laughs> no, this, like, like, I get a chance to do what I love to do. I, I have a family I get to see, and I've, I've got you know, a seven and nine year old and we go on our adventures. Mm -hmm. It's, it's those quiet moments together that are more enjoyable for me. I, I don't have the burning desire anymore to do shows on a stage because I've, I've done a lot of shows. I'm lucky enough to have done a lot. And also like the, the time together is more important for me. As you, as you get older, Margo, you realize that's your currency is time. <clears throat> and I want to create as many memories as possible with those people who I love. And so we do that as much as we can. And it's not, I don't have as much of a desire to like see the world as I once did, or if I do, it's a different way. I want to see now all these new friends I've made online. I want to get a chance to see them, but I don't want to like, I want to spend time with my family. That's my, that's what brings me joy is that. So after our interview right now, my, my wife has the week off of work. So after this, we're going to, have a cup of coffee and maybe go for a walk and those are the th the things getting in bed early is brings me <laughs> nine, nine o'clock at the latest i need if i can go to bed at eight o'clock i'm very happy and so going to bed at an, a reasonable time i've had late nights i've had shows i've done those right. wonderful so the simple stuff is what i'm appreciating now more than ever yeah the simple stuff well, you know, you are a gift, Jay Suko. I don't want to pile on too much because Good, yes. I'm, you're always, you're actually very humble. You're a humble person, a gifted human being. Someday I'm going to see your feet in real time. I, I can't wait. Maybe. I, well, maybe, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> I know you got a thing for feet, so maybe. Yeah, I, I do love feet. I'll tell you that. And, and you have inspired me. And so many people out there, you're you're truly like a, a Jay Appleseed improv, whatever, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and have given me so much. So I I just love you, Jay. Oh, you're my love kind you of lots, Margot. And this next year is going to be tremendous for you and for me and for everybody out there. I pray. Of course, I mean it's. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm really honored that you asked me to be on your podcast. So thank you. I, I'm a, I'm a big listener, big fan of your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. All righty. Well, happy new year, Jay. Happy new year, Margo. Bye. Okay. Bye. Mm -hmm.